Um, so fun thing, I was um, volunteering um, with our student ministry over at uh, Forsyth. Happy Father's Day, by the way, to all the dads in the room. Excited you're here. I hope your families are just making you feel so loved, so appreciated today. Um, but I was over, and I'm volunteering um, at our high school ministry at Forsyth. And I go, and I chose to wear just really simple outfit. I wore, like, khaki shorts, a polo, and some sneakers. And I go, and one of our just lovely youth pastors at Forsyth, his name's Jaime. If you're ever over there, you got to meet Jaime. He's the best. Um, and he looks at me and he goes, Raymond, you just really look like a dad right now. And I was just like, um, what? Uh, tried to take that as a, I think that's a compliment. Um, wasn't sure how to feel. Was really just wondering like what part of my outfit just screamed fatherhood. Um, really wasn't sure. Um, but the more I thought about it, I'm, dads, I'm not sure if you guys knew this. But according to, like, culture, like, there is a way that you guys are supposed to dress. Like, there's a stereotype on how dads dress. I think I've got, like, the ideal dad outfit right here. Yep. <laughs> there it is. Look at that little ensemble right there. That's awesome. And, then, you know, I think the shorts, like, you can do, like, cargo shorts if you want. Like, more pockets, more possibilities. Like, <laughs> if you want to do khaki shorts, I think that's an option, too. I think the shoes are a must, for sure. Um, in fact, so my dad actually, uh, the same, like for six years of my life, I think he bought the same pair of shoes, maybe 10 times. Um, yep, there they are. Like they worn out. He's going to get another pair. They're dirty. He's getting another pair, but I think you just, you find what you like and that's it. But that is like your stereotypical dad shoe as they'd call it. In fact, you know, I think, like, this outfit is maybe, like, the dad that, like, wanted to dress himself, like, bought his own clothes, to which, you know, I want to encourage all of the fellows in the room, um, when your wife gives you fashion advice, I'd, I'd go with her judgment. Just, just uh, trust me, it'll work out, I promise. But that is how dads look, according to our culture. And I think they have a few other characteristics as well. Maybe, like, dads, you just really love Home Depot. Um, I don't know what and when you start just really enjoying Home Depot. Um, I don't know what age as a man I'm supposed to start really caring about my lawn. Like when do I get really into my grass as a father? I don't know. Um, maybe like I think I started playing golf. Is that like a gateway into fatherhood? Is that where it starts? I've been playing golf for like three months. Maybe and then you kind of hit this point as a dad where you have like a road diverges, and you have two paths to choose. You either get really into World War II history or smoking various meats. I don't know. You just, you take your pick. You just, one or the other, that's, then you're there. My dad chose the latter, and I've been reaping the benefits, so that's always good. But there are characteristics, things that we see, qualities that we perceive, and we automatically put those in this dad box, this dad category. And like good, bad, accurate or not, we, we do this with most everything, with all sorts of different kinds of people. Like we see a distinguishing mark or characteristic and we immediately come up with just categories in our head. And like I'm guilty of this. I know we all do this. And one of the easiest places to do this, in my opinion, was on a college campus. So, so many different groups of people, so many different like clubs and different things on college campus made it really, really easy. So, you know, for more about me, I went to Georgia Southern University down in Statesboro, Georgia. 
Hail Southern, no place else, love that. Um, and so if you've ever been to Statesboro, the town of Statesboro, um, the university is basically like, that's the town, that's all there is. There's nothing else to do out there, but it's just Georgia Southern. And so on campus, you know, I think I was getting really good at just looking at people and I could kind of just form some assumptions in my head. I mean, like the group of girls who have like perfected the sorority squad or like have taken way too many pictures, um, all kind of dressed similarly, have their letters stamped on everything. Sorority, boom, right there, easy. Um, All the fraternity guys kind of dressed the same down at Southern at my time there. they kind of wore their hats way too high on their heads. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Or um, different brands, lot, lots of Southern comfort, that kind of thing down there. Um, one guy would always just ask me for a pencil every class, and I just got ran out of pencils to give him. So fraternities kind of all kind of had the same characteristics. And then, like, the guys on campus who are, like, 6'5", 250, like, all muscle. Like, you just know those kids are in marching band for sure. Um, <laughs> No, just athletes for sure. You see a big guy on campus dressed head to toe in Adidas, Georgia Southern wear, and it's like, hey, that guy's an athlete. I know that for sure. But there are these certain characteristics, these certain marks that we perceive and distinguish, um, and we all want to be perceived a certain way as well. We dress nice for interviews, just seem like we got put together, you know, for a job, all sorts of things, different social situations. We want to be perceived a certain way. All have distinguishing marks, that kind of thing. And so my question this morning that I want to help answer for y'all is, what is the distinguishing mark of a Christian? What is the distinguishing mark of a Christian? Like, what is it? Do I, do I have to just carry my Bible around 24-7 just to make sure people know? It's like, hey, man, what's your name? I'm a Christian. Um, just that way, do I have to wear a piece of, like, cross jewelry somewhere or have, like, a verse or something on my person? Um, what is the mark of a Christian? Like, what makes us look at someone and say, hey, that person is a Christian? So today, I want to share with you and talk about my favorite Bible verse, like, of all times. It's like my life verse. I love this verse so much. It's a little verse called Micah 6, 8. Micah 6, 8. Any Micah 6, 8 fans out there? For sure. Yeah. Um, So, I believe that Micah 6, 8 has three amazingly clear distinguishing characteristics of a life connected to Christ. I think it paints an awesome picture for us. So here is Micah 6, 8. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. So let's break this down. The first part of this verse tells us to do justly. To do justly. So in the end, it's just, As a Christian, we need to do the right thing. We need to love extending kindness to others. It's that golden rule of just treating others the way that you want to be treated. That when we see injustice, we stand up for what is right. We stand to right wrongs as Christians. We extend kindness to everybody. If they don't look like us, if they don't believe the same things as us, we need to do justly. That we are called to act righteously and justly towards other people that we cannot fundamentally ourselves claim to love Christ and simultaneously hate the people that he died to save. We need to do justly. The next part says to love mercy. That mercy, I don't know if you knew the definition, mercy is compassion shown to someone whom it is within one's power to punish 
or harm. Choosing in a moment, even if it's justified, to show compassion rather than punish or harm. That it says we don't just need to show mercy, we need to love to show it. To love extending mercy and grace to other people just as God extended it towards us. That God never gave us what we deserved as human beings. He gave us so much more and so much through his son, Jesus, and we need to share that mercy with others. Finally, this final part is what I really want to dive deep into today, this idea of walking humbly. We're talking about humility this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much for what a good, good father you are to us. God, I pray as we go through this time, God, just give me the words to say that they would not be mine, that they would be yours, God. Give each of the people in this room the just ears to hear your words, God, the hearts to understand them and apply them to their lives, God, and help us continue to all walk in humility. God, we love you and we praise you. It's your heavenly name I pray. Amen. All right, diving in. Let's go. Walk humbly. I'm talking about humility. What is it? What is humility? And I think we make it very, very complicated sometimes on what humility is, but I've got this really simple definition that I love that I think sums up humility fairly well. It says, humility is intentionally putting God first and others before myself. Intentionally choosing to put God first and others before myself. It's this mentality of I am third that I will put God first, others second, and myself third, humility. It says this in scripture in Philippians 2, 3, it says, do nothing, not some things, not most things, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That Paul is telling us to do absolutely nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But how often do we do that? Even do that subconsciously without even knowing it. It's amazing that how often we find ourselves doing that. Like even people in ministry do that. Like maybe it's about, hey, I want to lead this Bible study, but it's not about the people in the study. It's not about God. It's about me and having people have to listen to me. Maybe it's, hey, I want to be a leader in like that organization or that church, and not for like the good and the growth of that organization, but because, hey, I want this authority, I want people to have to listen to me, and I get to tell people what to do. Like maybe, like we do that. We can do that sometimes. You can get on a stage like this one, like I am right now talking to you guys, and I can have selfish ambition or vain conceit. One of my favorite pastors to listen to, um, Ben Stewart, um, put it this way, that conceit is literally the combination of two words, empty glory, empty glory, that I can get up in a moment like this one and talk to you guys about being humble and walking in humility, not for the glory of God, but for the glory of me. That I can do this and I can give a sermon and only care about if you guys think that I'm funny, that I'm smart, that I'm cool, that I'm brilliant. That's empty glory. 
And in the end, that's not what you guys need. You don't need more of me or any other pastor for that matter. That is not going to solve your problems. If I make this about me and my glory, then I've, one, wasted your time, and I've dishonored God. But if I get up here in humility with the desire to glorify God for your good, then that is what is worth your time. And some of us today really need to look inwardly and question and think about why we do some of the things that we do. So if that's not humility, what is? What does real humility look like? So I'll tell you again what it's, what it's not. And what I see in a lot of people is that they think and associate humility with self-deprecation. That I'm going to think of myself lesser than other people, that I am self-deprecating. That's what humility is. But that really doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help me. It doesn't help you. Um, and we see this all the time. So maybe it's the person that's like, okay, you know, I'm really trying to be humble. So, you know, if you know, look at me, like all glory goes to God, not me. Like, it's not about me. It's not about like my gifts or talents. You know, that's all to God. Like, I'm garbage. I am nothing. Like, I'm lower than you. Like, we tend to see that. Like, you know, hey, when you see me, like, don't see leader, see servant. Like, I'm just really trying to be humble right now. It's like, what, what is that? What, who, why? Um, that is not humility. Like, that's still self-focused. All of that is still self-focused. Instead, Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That we're not interested and overly interested in ourselves. We are interested in others. Because the thing is, when someone is truly humble, you find that they don't talk of themselves much at all. They don't talk about themselves much at all. In fact, you know, they are not looking out for their just, own, their, just their own interests, but for the interests of others. That humility is oftentimes like on full display when someone seems particularly interested in you. Not for the things you're going to be able to give them or do for them, but because they are genuinely interested in helping you. I find in so many of my interactions I have with people, I can walk away from one knowing that someone is really humble when I feel like we didn't talk about them the entire time. They wanted to know about me. They wanted to ask about me and my family and all this stuff and where I come from and like all these things. You know, that's the thing is I think we get wrong is that true humility is not the person that thinks less of themselves. It's the person who thinks of themselves less. And I think that today, true humility can be characterized by the presence of three distinct values. Love, honor, and serve. That truly humble people love, honor, and serve. And each of these, they're found in Romans chapter 12. If we look at verses 10 and 11, it says this. It says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. That humble people, we are called to love deeply, honor selflessly, and serve enthusiastically. And so let's talk about each of those now. So love, talking about love. You know, love, I think, in this day and age can take on so many different things and so many different 
meanings, but I love, love, love this definition um, from an author named Tim Kimmel. I think it sums up what real love is very, very well, and it says this. It says, love is the commitment of my will to your needs and best interests, regardless of the cost. That's the thing. The commitment of my will to your needs and best interests. I am putting your needs and best interests above my own. And not just that. Not when it's just convenient for me. Not when I'm just, I feel like I'm able to. Not when I just feel like it. It's regardless of the cost. Regardless of what it's going to cost me, I am going to love you in a way that commits my will to your needs and best interests. And scripture tells us that our love is our greatest proof that we have of our being followers of Jesus. Jesus says it himself in John chapter 13. It says this, he says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Right there, it says, Your love will prove to the world that you are a disciple of Jesus. And I think that is so, so, so true. That I think about myself and my walk with Christ, and I think about when I became a Christian as a sophomore in high school. I am not a Christian today and doing what I'm doing today because of any amount of scripture that someone quoted to me. I am not a Christian today because of any amount of theological ideas that someone taught me or explained to me. I'm not a Christian today because of any amount of worship songs or services that I attended. I am a Christian because of the love of Jesus Christ that I saw on full display for me and other people. That people, Christians, followers of Jesus took time to love me so I could experience the love of Jesus. And I took a look at that, and I was like, I want that in my life. I need that in my life. I am a Christian because of the love of Jesus and the way that someone loved me. That he tells us that just as he loved us, we should love each other. Truly humble people love deeply. Let's talk about honor. Honor. So what do we think honor means? That honor means that super simple right here. Honor is not a word we use too much now, but super simple definition for you. Honor is showing someone they're important to me. You are honoring someone when you show someone that they're important to you. And we can honor in so many different ways that we can honor God. We're called to honor God first and foremost, that we honor God with our time, our talents, our money, our opportunities, our platform, even our own bodies, that we might not have money, we might not have it all together, but each of us, each of you has unique gifts and talents that we can use to honor God, to further his kingdom, to bring him glory. We can honor God with our time and our talents as well. Kids in the room, just apologize in advance for this. This is my dad's favorite verse, you know, in Father's Day. Um, he doesn't remember the reference all the time, uh, but he definitely knows what it says. Um, and that's Ephesians 6, 2. It says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That kids, you need to show your parents that they're important to you. And that can be as easy as just doing something around the house that they didn't ask you to do. Doing stuff without asking. Taking some specific time to just show your parents that they're important to you. Not just on Father's Day, not just on Mother's Day, but 365 days a year. We honor God and we can honor our parents. And we can honor others. That going back 
to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, and honor one another above yourselves. My translation I have right here in a different translation, I love this. It says, to outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. How amazing would that look if us as Christians, we took a look and we outdid each other in showing each other they're important to us. Some practical ways to do that. I'm about to give you some really practical things that we can do to show other people they're important to us. Super easy thing. Um, first thing is, uh, really, this is going to blow your mind. To honor someone, be on time to things. Be on time to things. That's so, so easy. That's something we're all capable of doing. Because when you show up early to something, and early is on, my lacrosse coach always said that early is on time, on time is late. Um, when you show up and are on time and are early to things, you are telling someone, hey, this mattered to me and you mattered to me enough for me to carve out time in my day to come eat with you. I made it a purpose to be early because you're important to me. This was important to me. Another thing we can do is really truly humble people. Um, when we're meeting new people, when we're in conversations with each other and community with another, one awesome thing I see um, people do is that rather trying to be interesting, humble people are interested. Like we talked about, that humble people really don't seem particularly interested in talking about themselves as a whole because they want to know you. Once again, not because of what you can give them or do for them, because that they genuinely want to love and honor you. Super easy things that we can do just to show others that they're important to us. Finally, talking about serving. Serving can be, look and feel like so many different things, but another simple definition I have is that serve is seeing a need and doing something about it. Seeing a need and doing something about it. In regards to service in Mark chapter, chapter 10, it, talking about Jesus, it says this, it says, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That Jesus, probably the one individual in all of human history that deserved to have people bow down and serve him. That in humility, he stepped down into creation to become just a man and in that not to be served, but to serve others and die for us. And what this verse is really saying for us and what this looks like for you guys is that if serving is beneath you, Leadership is beyond you. That real leaders are leaders that serve, that serve the people that are leading that. In 1 Peter 4.10, it talks about how we should all use our gifts as faithful stewards of God's grace in its favorite forms. That learn, use the things that he's given us to serve others. And this isn't just when we feel like it. Like when we go out and it's like we have the mentality of, hey, this feels really good. I need this to make me feel happy in terms of just showing kindness to other people. That's not what he's talking about. Self-focused serving does nothing for us. In fact, so one of my favorite quotes, um, it's from Mother Teresa. It says this, it says, if you can't do great things, do little things with great love. And if you can't do them with great love, do them with a little love. And if you can't do them with a little love, do them anyway, because love grows when people serve. 
that if, you know, we want to get better at loving people and honoring people, then we need to serve people because love grows when people serve. And I think about this when, you know, the times that we don't feel like serving um, or aren't in that mindset or anything. I think about in Matthew chapter 14 when um, Jesus is there and he's just learned that John the Baptist, his, his cousin and one of his really close friends, has just been murdered and he went to be alone and to grieve um, and yet these crowds are following him. These crowds are following him, and I want to notice what Jesus does. He doesn't, you know, get annoyed or send them away. He has compassion, and he meets their needs right there, even when he'd probably much have rather been able to be alone to grieve the loss of his friend. And what does Jesus do there? He, he serves them. He has compassion and welcomes them and teaches them and heals them and feeds them. And there's going to be moments in your life when you really don't feel like putting others first or feel like serving. But in those moments, it is almost so much more important to choose to put God first and others second and yourself third. And so why are all of these values so important? So let's take another look at our verse, Micah 6, 8 here. Um, and so if you look back at Micah 6, 8, it says, you know, we need to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And so notice it doesn't just say walk humbly. Like that's not where the verse ends. Like it doesn't say, hey, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly, and then you're good. Scott free, go home, you're awesome. Um, it says that we need to walk humbly with your God. Because y'all, the real key to humility is with God. The real key to humility is unity with Jesus Christ. Walking step for step in your life with God, going through life with God, we need to walk humbly with God. That we need to focus on our relationship with God, not our ministry for God. Because everything that you do, everything you are as a person flows out of your personal relationship with God. It affects all of your other relationships, your marriage, your friendships, your dating relationships, whatever it is, flows out of your own relationship with God. One quote I really love from Robert Murray McShane, um, who is one of my favorite just minister guys who's not alive anymore. Um, he says this, it says, no amount of activity in the king's service will make up for neglect of the king himself. That Phil Vischer puts it this way. He says, he's the creator of VeggieTales. He says, impacting others doesn't happen when your focus is on God or focus is on impacting others. It happens when your focus is on God. The us as followers of Jesus, as Christians, are going to be most effective in the world when our focus is on Jesus, not our work. That not simply, just simply listening for Jesus' voice, and obeying him when he speaks. That is when we're going to truly see him work in our lives and in the world. I think about this when, you know, in John, when the disciples spend, Peter and some other disciples are spending all night casting and trying to catch fish. And it isn't until Jesus comes to them and says, hey, cast your nets on the other side of your boat, until they see the hall. That they are so focused on their work and what they're doing, it is only when 
they slow down and listen to Jesus speak, that they see him work in their lives. That we constantly, constantly, constantly have to focus on our own relationship with Jesus. Because in the end, God is not looking for more and more from me, but more and more of me. So that he can do more and more through me. That these values of love, honor, and serve, these reflect your relationship with God. The way you love, honor, and serve each other is primarily going to sink or swim based on the way you love, honor, and serve God. That the closer your heart pulls to him, the more time you spend with him, the more naturally you're going to be able to extend these things to other people. And this natural extension of this love, honor, and service is what truly makes people humble. Not only that, it determines your impact on other people. One of my favorite quotes of all time, one that kind of just changed the way I look at my interactions with people and the way I live my life comes from Maya Angelou. And she says this, she says, I've learned that people will forget what you said. They will forget what you did but people will never forget how you made them feel. Y'all, in order to walk humbly, he must increase and we must decrease. That when we walk humbly with him, we are going to be more like him. And when we are more and more like him, the more naturally we are going to be able to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Some of you might be walking humbly, but there's others who might not be just walking humbly with God. So today I want to encourage you and challenge you, what are you going to do this week, this month, this year, to continue to draw closer to your Heavenly Father? What are you going to do to pour more time and importance into your relationship with God so everything else can flow out of that, come overflow from your own relationship with God? In what ways in your life are you going to be able to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly as a result? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for fathers and what a good, good father you are to us. God, that today, wherever people are at today, whether Father's Day is a day of celebration, whether it's a day um, just, just comes with a lot of baggage and a lot of pain, God, I pray that today people would realize and draw close to you that you are not a bigger version of their earthly father. Instead, you are a perfect version of our heavenly father. God, I pray today that each and every one of the people in this room would draw closer to you. God, that they would find the time and invest in their own personal relationship with you, God, because everything we do flows from that. God, that today we would humble ourselves and walk in humility and obedience to you. God, that we would draw near to you and become more like you. And that we would all better go forward to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. God, we love you and we praise you. It's your heavenly name I pray. Amen.